Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome along to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Great to have you with us on the show this afternoon. We're starting talking about uh, work and the working week on the show today. There's been a lot about lately about the four-day week. And it's something we've addressed here in the show in the past. But it certainly seems to be cranking up in terms of options for employers and employees. Recently, a a team of social scientists from the University of Cambridge working with another team uh, of academics from Boston College in the US uh, took on a survey of companies around the UK with 2,900 employees uh, moving to a four-day week and the results of that are out and I'll come back to them in a moment. But a four-day week is something that's happening at Soothing Solutions in Dundalk and I'm delighted to be joined by its founder and CEO, Sinead Crowther. Afternoon, Sinead. Hello there, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me today on the show. So you are operating a four-day week? We sure are. Yeah, we just decided to jump in with the pilot last year to see how it would go for us. And before that, you were normal five-day, was it nine to five or did you work shift work or what? Well, you see, we were building the company uh, from scratch. So we started to try and figure this out before we hired our staff. So we were building out our business model based on a five-day week. But we thought when the opportunity came to do the trial, we'd try and build in the four-day week as a test at the very early stages for us. And what does a four-day week mean to employees? How many hours a week do they work in the four days? So they work 32 hours and they get paid for 40. So we give them 100% of um, their salary for 80% of their time and they give us 100% commitment. That's something else, isn't it? That you are actually paying 40 hours for 32. You're a very generous boss. Well, you know what? People matter. And, you know, we're in production and, you know, uh, production operatives, it's quite a low-paying job. There has to be some rewards. There has to be something appealing. It's quite hard to get staff and retain them. And um, it just it just helps them have a better quality of life because they've more time to do what they want without losing pay to do it. So it's worked for us so far. And we've kind of implemented it now as a permanent fixture for Seeding Solutions going forward. So you are saying to me, Sinead, today, for the the 32 hours, you believe you're getting uh, the equal of 40 hours return or perhaps more from the staff? Yeah, I'll tell you why. Because at the start, a lot of them were from manufacturing background, their employees, and they couldn't wrap their own heads around it. They thought it was a gimmick or a catch. And they would say the same thing, like, how how, how are we going to do this? So then you'd present your production outputs requirement for the week. And they're determined to hit it to make sure 
that they can prove it to themselves that they can achieve it they just go all in and um, they really appreciate that extra day off every week so they work really hard to make sure they never lose the four day week benefit you know so it, it really does help productivity we feel, feel in our in air business it's helped How do you work the week? Do you only function for four days? Do you function for five days seven days or what? How does it operate? Yeah so we're, we're quite a new business um so at the moment, we do the staff do Monday to Thursday. So their weekend starts when they finish their shift on Thursday afternoon and they're not back until Monday. Now, as we grow, we will probably have a second four-day week shift if we, you know, when, we're, when we experience the growth we're expecting this year. Or we would have kind of a part-time option for people to do uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But we will never run five days a week for the one employee. They'll always benefit from the four-day week. Mm, it's uh, like a bank holiday every weekend, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. They, they, like I said at the start, some of them who had been in production 30 years were like, I just can't work. I don't understand. Why are you doing it? <laughs> um, but, you know, the payoff has been very rewarding because they're all, all quite happy coming into work and, and they, they're quite happy skipping out on a tourist day. Who wouldn't be on a tourist day for the weekend? Isn't it just great? What do you what do you do on bank holidays? Just while I mention it, do you work the four four days? Say the bank holiday Mondays, and there's a number of them through the year. Do they then work Tuesday to Friday? Yeah, exactly. For us, that's how we do it because they already get the benefit the other yeah. fifty or whatever many weeks a year that there's no bank holiday. So yeah, we just we still do the four day week that week. How many staff have you there? You, you had nine or ten the last time I think you spoke to us here. Yeah, still at that number now. Yeah. Still nine of us right now. Um, or we're hoping things will uh, grow a bit more over the summer and then we, we'll have more hires yes. for the, the winter. My God, you'll have... A, I wouldn't like to be you putting out an <laughs> ad for a job. You'll be inundated, I'm sure, with people looking for the four-day week. But it, for, from your point of view, and I'll just tell you in a moment what that trial I mentioned at the start there in the UK said, from your perspective, do you see any downsides to this? Well, I mean, there's a cost. Obviously, there's a cost to you as the business because anything after the 32 hours is overtime um, or else you have to hire another team. But, you know, to us, we don't look at it like a cost. We look at it as an investment in our staff to get the absolute best from them and to secure their loyalty. So that's, I suppose, the the downside. It is a cost to your company, but I think the return is much greater, so it's worth it, we feel. Mm. The survey itself has said, just to, I'm only summarising from it, that among employees, these 2,900 in a range of companies across the UK, there was lower rate of stress and illness, lower levels of burnout, uh, a huge drop in people, you know, leaving the company up to 60% year on year. And uh, employees said it was much easier to balance work with family uh, commitments and the extra day off, of course, uh, saved on childcare expenses for families. That's all very positive, isn't it? It is, and we, we've experienced that here. Like, everyone here has personal things going on and family they need to attend to, and that's the massive plus side for them. Uh, someone else pursued a, a passion they've had for photography for a long time that they weren't able to before because on their days off, they'd be exhausted on day one and catching up on the housework on day two, and sure, then they were back in on the Monday. So, yeah, we've really seen that firsthand from the staff, and it's really, it, it is rewarding to see that, that they're so happy. 
There was a small aspect of negativity, just a couple of things. Some felt the work had got more intense, which it would, you know what I mean? Try, uh, you know, going from five days and putting that amount of work into the four and the lesser hours. And in creative industries, they felt there was less time for unstructured chat that often generates new ideas. You can understand those as well. You know, that's a, uh, but it's, it's, it's not much when you look at the o- o- other positives. So it's life for your company now for Soothing Solutions. You'd never go back, would you? No, we wouldn't. The the, the positive um, it brings to our particular business, I can't speak for everyone, I'm speaking for ourselves, but we feel that could be applied in in most businesses is, is too big and now we're really happy as we are. Mm. I'm, I'm sure there are, and there's other businesses would probably say, well, we can't work, and that is understandable too. There may be some that it can't, but my oh my, when you think of it, you know, I, I look back and Luke O'Neill was writing about this. I don't know whether you saw it in the Sunday Independent uh, about this whole area of the four day week. And when you think back, you know, that uh, in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, people were working 100 hours a week. Yeah. Oh, my Imagine. God. Imagine. Imagine. Oh, we're spoiled now then. Oh, we're ruined. <laughs> Listen, when I tell you we're ruined today, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. And it was actually Henry Ford from the motor company was the first man to introduce a, a lesser working week. But he had a, he had another motive. You see, he thought he'd, and he knew he would sell more cars to people who had more time on their hands for sure. Um, <laughs> h- how are you going? Like your your product, uh, the Tonstick's Honey Jelly Pops, what a story it is. And they've been stocked all over and they've, they're flying for you, aren't they? They are. Like, we, we, we knew there was a need. So my background in pharmacy identified a need for a child's product for their sore throat and cough. And I suppose it's how it's developed and it's it's very centred towards the child and, and how they would use it. Um, so it was received really well. But what's really heartwarming for me is when we get messages in from parents saying it, it's really helped and their children like using it and they feel they're doing something to help their child. So... Yeah, it, it's gone really well. It's in every pharmacy chain and we launched on Amazon UK just before Christmas and we're in Northern Ireland now. So we're looking to explore new territories for 2023. So yeah, I suppose watch this space for an update this time next year. What All a, going well. What a great story you are and what a great backstory you have as well. You're a wonderful lady. You're really inspiring, I have to say. Is there an, Do you feel there's, there are other products that you may develop? Are you just going to concentrate on the Tonstix? Oh gosh, no. So another big gap in the market is for something to help children with uh, travelling, travel sickness, ears popping on planes. So sucking, we know sucking reflex help uh, with ear popping so we can apply ear pop and add other ingredients to help calm during flights or maybe help with nausea. So we're working on that right now. Hopefully we'll launch that in the summer, but we'll see how it goes. R&D takes a bit longer than you expect, but no, definitely other products in the pipeline. Oh, you're fantastic. Listen, thank you for joining me on the show this afternoon. I do appreciate it. And I wish you well with the four-day week going forward. And as I said, watch your inbox when you advertise the next job. Boom! (laughs) They're going to come from everywhere. Thank you very much for joining me on the show today, Sinead. Take care. Bye-bye. Anybody out there working a four-day week, how is it going for you? You might let us know. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Louise, I have a story to tell you. I really do. Uh, personal, personal little issue I, I've had the last 24 hours or so. Um, I'll go back about a month ago. I booked flights, Louise, to Glasgow, mm-hmm. okay, to see. Going, I'm going to the Celtic Rangers game, the next league game. And don't ask me how, but I bro- booked them through a crowd called E-Dreams Prime. 
eDreams Prime. You know when okay. you go online. They're a travel company, are they? Yeah, they, 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 yeah, they are a travel right. company. You know, and they, they offer, um, you know, they're involved in that whole area of booking flights and accommodation as well. Anyway, they came up. I don't know why they came up, but I booked, I got the flights through them anyway. Fair enough, no problem. It's on my statement on my credit card. <clears throat> but yesterday, I got a call from Bank of Ireland Card Security to say that they noticed a strange transaction on my credit card. Okay. And um, could I contact them? Now, you know, I have to say, Louise, you know on the mobile phone when you see these messages, there are so many fake Bank of Ireland messages. Mm. Firstly, I wasn't sure if it was a genuine, you understand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really didn't. And I, I can understand how people are foxed yeah. by the shysters that are out there. I really didn't know. And I didn't contact them. I waited. And then I got another message and I looked at it again and I went through it. So I decided anyway, I would ring the genuine Bank of Ireland credit fraud mm-hmm. helpline. Mm. And when I rang them, I was happy that they were the real McCoy that I was talking to the bank. But even then, see how my mind has become mm-hmm. so so suspicious. They asked me for my credit card number. Yeah. And you're the kind expiry of going, uh, uh. date. Mm. And I waited to see what they asked for the three digits because you need those. Right. If you get the three mm-hmm. digits, you're away. But they didn't, which made me much more comfortable then. So when I spoke to a lovely lady yesterday and she said, look, a crowd called E-Dreams Prime tried to take 70 euro on your credit card today. And I said, what? Yeah, she says, we've looked back and we see you booked flights with them about a month ago, which they knew the whole story. She says, they're in now trying to take another 70 euro. And I said to myself, why? And she says, it looks like it's an annual subscription to them. Okay. And did you tick a box or anything when you were booking flights to say? No. Agree to this? No. No, I never ticked those boxes. I don't want to know anything about them. I didn't. But what could have come up and she suggested to me, what often comes up is they offer a free 30 day trial. Oh, right. You understand? Oh, yeah. Okay. So you might have gone for that and then didn't opt out. I don't think I I went for it, but obviously you're in. You understand? Mm. You're in the 30 day trial. Mm -hmm. So anyway, they put the fair juice to Bank of Ireland. Yeah. I have to say fair juice to them. They put the block on my card. Because not normally, you know, some like 70 euros, I know 70 euro, but generally they don't kind of act suspicious yes. unless it's a big, massive amount. Yes. If yeah. somebody's lucky I, enough to I, have that. I was very reassured when I heard this. So they put a block on the card. Now, the one thing about the card is I pay a week subscription for my storage and that, you know, in the cloud and that type of thing. And, you know, when you put a block on the card, you don't want that payment to be denied. It's only tiny, you know what I mean? But that causes messy stuff as well. So anyway, I left the block on the card and in fairness to the lady yesterday, she gave me the phone number of eDreams Prime. Right. And she says, if you ring that number, uh, it'll take you through and you can cancel the subscription. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I did a bit of Googling then as well to see could I sort this out online and it wasn't straightforward, but it did show you how to go online and cancel. So I went the phone route first, rang up. And, you know, press one, press two. Hello, goodbye. How are you? What, you know, through all this stuff. But I was patient. I was patient. Not like me. I stayed I with it. They do that on purpose, don't they? Companies? I think they do. I think they do. Anyway, I ultimately got to where I wanted to go. And it says, if you want to cancel your uh, subscription, which I never took out, mm. press one. I pressed one. This was an automatic. I'm not talking to a person. And it says then, are you sure you want to cancel it? Press one again. Pressed one. And it said, just in an auto voice, your subscription has been cancelled. And we'll send you out an email. Did you get the email? No. 
Oh. <laughs> Did no. you check your spam and everything? Checked everything. No email. Mm. So, got back on to back. Uh, update, update this morning. Got back on. Had to do this this morning because there was a payment due on the car to somebody else. Um, got back onto Bank of Ireland and got through to, again, the most helpful guy I could speak to there. And he looked at it and he, he knew the whole story. Should they, they, it was there from yesterday, you know. And he said, they've come in this morning and tried to take the payment again. No way. So they were blocked and they came in again. And he said they might come in under another guise and try and take the payment as well. You've got to watch for this. So I said to him, I cancelled the subscription as your colleague advised me to do yesterday, which I did. Mm. He said, did you get that confirmation email? I said, I didn't. OK, he says, go online. And he stayed with me, the lad in Bank of Ireland. As I went through, the, which I found difficult to navigate, mm-hmm. he stayed with me and eventually got me through eDreams Prime, through the navigating the website to the point I needed to go and I cancelled it online. So I've cancelled it by voice and I cancelled it today online. online. And to cancel it, I had to update my password. They sent me a mail immediately with my new password. Do you know what I mean? To get yeah. in and cancel it. And they said when I cancelled it, I'd get an email to say it was cancelled today. Did I get an email to say it was cancelled today? Oh, no. No. So they could still try again, basically. Well, he said said they may, uh, but he's put a note on the account to Mm. watch for it anyway. Do you know what I mean? He's opened up my car today, but he said they've put, and he explained to me there is a process that you can go through. uh, You text a number with dispute on it that you dispute the, Mm. the, the money. But aren't they some yeah, crew. That's awful. Aren't they? That's awful. You just end up not trusting anything online. I did not. Opt- I, I guarantee I didn't. Anyone else have any dealings with this crowd called eDreams Prime or anyone similar to that that had the same situation as myself where they came in and tried to take an annual subscription? Oh, I've never dealt with this company before. I booked return flights to Glasgow. Nothing else with them. And... Here they are looking for 70 euro for an annual subscription. For what? For what, really? For what? what what's the 70 euro for? Did but, you get a lot of savings off the flights? No, I didn't really no. because, you know, when the, that game is a very popular game, it's, mm. it was difficult. I was in like a shot to try and get flights, which I eventually did, and I paid. I didn't pay cheap for them, I can tell you. But uh, there was no way uh, I was joining their you know, subscription service or anything like that. And again, I go back to what the lad said to me. They just, as a matter of course, say you have a free 30-day trial. And whether you have to click in or out of that, I don't know. But, like, it didn't raise the Mm -hmm. hair with me when I was actually booking the flights. Uh, But anyway, um, that's where I am now. So they've opened up the card. They've put a little note on the account and they will keep an eye on it. And they try to come in again and take it we'll see what happens anyone else have a similar experience did you ever hear the crowd did you I'm just saying to you today I'll never be doing anything with them again eDreams Prime 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text get straight through to me in the studio we spoke to them last week ahead of their trip to Calgary in Canada to defend their title at the Skior Games they're back how did they get on Barry O'Brien Lynch and Susan Oaks are with me Susan what's the story did you keep your title well we we had an amazing time we took part in each of the five races um, we didn't uh, win the sprint race again this year but we won the Alpine Lounge race um, so that was 
which was really wonderful because where the idea originally came up in was O'Brien's restaurant in Johnstown and Navin when Sam Mitchell from Skeetor Canada was over and that's where the Barry and myself decided the Irish team was going to Calgary. So O'Brien sponsored um, our lounge and that's so it was it's absolutely brilliant that we won that race. Now, what did that involve? A horse, obviously, and you pair sitting what on on a on a seat on a lounge seat? Yeah, so it was pulled by two horses, and the lounge it had to the it had to be a two seater. There had to be a coffee table, and there had to be a lamp. And for me, that was my biggest fear. I don't mind riding a horse, but that's completely utterly out of my comfort zone. Going at such high speeds behind two horses and I have no control and the kickback of the snow and hopefully that our um, our Alpine Lounge will stay intact from start to finish. So it was just brilliant that like we got one on the board. And were you strapped into the lounge seat with a safety belt? <laughs> no, no safety belt. <laughs> <laughs> and you hurtling along across the snow at, at a speed of knots, not strapped in or anything, holding on for your dear life. So you you, you, you won a new title. You have a new title now from the Games. Yeah, we're, we're now the Alpine Lounge winners of Asquishore Canada. So... <laughs> At least we got one on the board, so oh, you yeah. never know. Next year we could go back and go for the two, the Sprint and the Alpine Lounge race. There you go. Barry O'Brien Lynch, well done to you. You two holding on for dear life. The snow coming back at you as it whipped across behind the horses. It must have cut the, the eyes out of your head, did it? It sure does. Uh, it, it, it's not the most comfortable lounge in, in Canada. Uh, I can tell you that for a fact. Um it's, yeah, look, it's it's uh, it's high speed, high risk, it, and it's very entertaining. Uh, it's it's quite the crowd pleaser event. A lot of it's the last event of the day, and the crowd always stay along to watch it because it's it's it's, it's absolutely bonkers, really. Uh, and, and there's there's thrills and spills, and like a, a couple of the a couple of the other lounges got completely wrecked, and all sorts of madness happened. Anyway, ours, ours stayed intact, and uh, we got across the line in front, so um, we, were, we were happy about that. One of the scariest things you've done. What did well according to Susan there, she'd uh, do anything on a horse any day rather than this again. Yes, yeah, well, Susan's not a great one for sitting on the couch anyway. Um, <laughs> she, likes, she, likes, she likes to be up and at us. Um, no, it's great. And, and we are, Susan also uh, should mention there. Like Susan, we we, we got um, we we used a skier, a Canadian guy called Phil Hudick. Um, he he jumped for us in the long jump, and Susan got him into second place in that as well. So uh, we 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 picked up two two prizes over there, which was which was good. We didn't come away empty-handed. Ah, oh, fantastic! So you're going back again, Susan? Yeah, definitely. It was just uh, we had no more, and the horse that we got this year was really good, and I'd like to get her again next year. So yeah, there were, we took an awful lot of positives away and we look forward to next year again. Well listen, well done to you. Title back to Ireland again this year. Unique and uh, the idea, the genesis of it all beginning in County Mead. Congratulations to Susan Oakes and Barry O'Brien Lynch, Alpine Lounge Race Champions at Ski Jor 2023 in Canada. Good luck to both of you. Thank you for joining me on the show again.
Thank you so much. Not at all. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Now, my next guest is a good friend of ours on Late Lunch. He's a humanist, celebrant, author and podcaster. And we spotted uh, an article he penned recently in relation to his mother. I'm delighted to say hello again to Joe Armstrong. Hi, Joe. Hello, Cherry. How are you? I'm really good. And it's great to talk to you again today on the show. Um, Thank you. Let's context this for listeners. Um, Your memoir, In My Gut, I Don't Believe. uh, You got an email from somebody. Were they reading that, Joe, was it? Yeah, it was somebody in the last, um, I think, two weeks now. And somebody I don't know, but he just he was he had read a substantial part of the book. And while reading it, you know, a major, I know you've read my book and, and mm. a kind of a major subplot to it, if you like, is my relationship with my mother. And this guy, anyway, he, he was just reading it and he just had this sense that we were kindred spirits because he also had a difficult relationship with his mother. And he just sent me an email just to, you know, kind of connect and and to say, you know, he, he used that phrase, which I love. It's a, it's a lovely phrase that he just it's beauty of writing, isn't it? That you can just write something out there to the universe and somebody out there picks it up and it resonates with them and, and means something to them. Mm, it's really, really nice. And I know it touched you uh, deeply. Look, tell us about your mother. You know, a son and a mother and sons and their mothers are generally regarded as being very close and it's a special relationship. Now, I'm not taking anything away from dads by any means, but you know what I'm talking about. Were you an only son, Joe? No, no, no. I I was the youngest, but my father had married twice. His first wife had died just after childbirth. The baby died too. So I had two, I have or had two half brothers uh, one of whom is still alive and I have a sister. But I, yeah, I was a baby and I grew up probably too close to my mother and probably because she didn't have a great relationship with my father or with his two sons. She probably, you know, put too much emotionally into our relationship. As a kid growing up, you know, I was aware there were all kind of tensions in the house and like as a kid, you you just you pick it all up like like a sponge, and you just know, you know. Sometimes you could cut the atmosphere with with a knife, mm. and like right through even up to my early twenties, I dared not mention the names of my two brothers because it would be a huge no go area, and it would have been a big area of conflict with my mother. But for me, growing up, I remember. Yeah, like my relation with my mother is the most complex relationship of my life. And trying, you know, the, the, the joy of writing a memoir or in in my case now a second memoir, I'm kind of middle way through that, is it's a huge opportunity to examine myself. And one of the, I, I, yeah, one of the, not dangers, but one of the, the, the Things I feel uneasy about in talking about my mother because she wasn't a perfect mother, but I'm not a perfect father. I'm very far from it, you know. Mm. And, you know, my son and my daughter, I don't know what they might say about me. And, and, and I know I'm far from perfect. And I don't want for a moment to suggest that I did a better job of parenting that, than my mother did. My mother's mother died when my mother was two. So she never had, you know, a mother to model her behavior off. Yes. And then she 
gets married in kind of her late 30s. She already has two sons from the first, well, not her, you know, my father had two sons of the first marriage. So, you know, it was a huge shock to her system to go from being an independent woman with no responsibilities to anybody but herself to suddenly having a husband and two little boys. And, you know, it didn't work out. She she didn't get on with them. They had a really hard time. I mean, I had heaven compared to what they had. And, you know, my challenge is more trying to grapple with the emotional and the kind of intellectual thing of trying to disengage from whatever strong mother-child bond I had as a kid. And then kind of discovering, you know, such a, a different experience that my father would have had. My father would have said to me, you know, on occasion when I would have been trying to reason with my mother, you know, if we were having a row, whatever it might be. And my father would take me aside and say, Joe, there is no point talking to her. Like, and obviously that was a very sad thing about his own relationship with his wife. Mm. And I don't know whether my mother might have had a psychological or, you know, other issue that was undiagnosed. But it was the case that you couldn't really reason with her, or at least you very, very rarely could. And even, you know, when I was... Uh, you know, I get spent nine years in a seminary, and I, I'm sure a huge part of of my choosing not to proceed with the priesthood was trying to disentangle myself with all the kind of messages and learnings and so on that I I I, I picked up from my mother. You know, I'm losing my- when when I listen to you, I I feel. You know that you're you're still, of course, dealing with this, and 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 will probably always be. But to sum her up, like you said, you had a, you know, when you were growing up as a small boy and a young lad, you were close, and life was good. It was tough for your two brothers, who I take lived with you under the one roof, and your dad as well. Um, but when when you grew up, and and as you developed as a young man and a man, what was it about her? Why do you, was she awkward? Was she contrary? Was she vindictive? What was she? Well, it was... Oh. <laughs> it's such a complex relationship. Like, she was... I found it exasperating because I, you know, wanted to be upfront and to talk about things and discuss things. Mm. And like my dad said, you, there's no point. You can't reason with her. So... I found that intensely frustrating. I found that she always seemed to undermine not only my thinking, but my feelings. She's, you know, I'd, I'd say I feel something and she'd say, oh, you, you can't feel that. Or I think something, oh, you can't be thinking that. Or I'd remember something and she'd say, no, no, it didn't happen like that at all. So she was constantly undermining my confidence. I mean, she's doing the opposite of what a good parent is meant to do. A parent is meant to be encouraging the child to think for themselves, to feel their feelings and so forth. And like I found myself kind of in my late teens, I remember going to confession one day and confessing to the priest the the negative feelings I had towards my mother. And I was astonished by 
how well he received it, because I thought that to admit, like I had this love-hate relationship with her, but to admit the, the hate aspect of it, you know, that there are times when I just hate her because I just can't talk to her, whatever it might be. And, you know, my dad would be going on about the things she did and so on. And he didn't always tell me all the things she did, but I knew she had done some stuff that had made his life pretty miserable. Yeah. And, but but that, that priest, and as you know, I'm not a believer, but he, he was a man of compassion and he had wisdom and he was human and... He was able to tell me, you know, that's okay. You know, if you feel as you feel, it's for a good reason. And the fast forward, like nine years in the seminary, near the end of that, when I went to counselling, I remember the counsellor saying to me, if you feel that your feelings, you know, my negative feelings towards my mother are unacceptable, then you feel that you're unacceptable. And like if, if, if anybody listening to this sort of walks away with any idea from it that is helpful, I hope it'll be that idea that there are no unacceptable feelings or unacceptable thoughts. Like if you feel something that's negative, if you feel either momentary hate for somebody or extended, accept it. Because if you don't accept those things, then you don't accept yourself and you can't grow and you can't deal with it. And I know people, you know, adults who find it really hard to admit how they feel about a parent. So, you know, I learned the hard way, accept your feelings no matter what they are. And if you feel your feelings or if you judge your feelings to be unacceptable, you're judging yourself to be unacceptable and to grow we have to accept, our, accept ourselves as we are. Do you accept your mother today, accept her behaviour, what she was, how she made you feel? Um, good question. <laughs> My mother is, is several years deceased and she got Alzheimer's in, in, in old age. And she, it, it was like we reverted to as we were as a child. She couldn't really remember who I was. But when I would walk in, she would smile. And all of the angst between us was gone. And it was gone because she couldn't remember who I was and she couldn't remember the history. And she'd look up at a photograph of my father, you know, with whom she didn't have a great relationship and she'd say who's that man up there I'd be a picture of herself and himself and you know it was sort of touching so she she we were reconciled because ironically of her Alzheimer's you know that, that all the all the reasons I was so exasperated with her that I couldn't reason with her kind of went away because you know, she had Alzheimer's. She didn't even know, know, know who I was. So it, 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 it weirdly, or luckily, you know, the fact that she lived to a ripe old age, her early 90s, and we had several years of her being in that state of just smiling when I went in. And it was kind of healing for me. And I could see by her expression 
you know, she she knew she knew she knew I was somebody close to her. And I don't know if she may well have lit up like that with other people. I don't know. But she certainly lit up like that with me in a way she wouldn't have done if it was, you know, a nurse going in or whatever. Mm. And just and you've raised a topic here. I believe I would mention that you were coming to talk to me about this in company. And I'd say this is something that is wider than, you know, it's not an isolated incident, you know, that, you know, this relationship with the mother is difficult and it can be, of course, with fathers as well and others. But I want to ask you this just before I finish, and I'm going to come back hopefully to this with you. Um, Did she love you? Did she show you love ever, you know, as a little boy and growing up? Had she got that? She did. Yeah, I've no doubt about that whatsoever. No doubt about that, yeah. And I... I have a lot less to complain about than my two brothers because they really had a hard time. I, you know, compared to them, I had a nirvana of a time. Totally different experience. So, yes, yeah, there was like, as I say, in childhood, I felt really close to her. And then I remember kind of as I grew older, I'd be be watching her doing something and think that's very odd behavior or you, you know, or watching her with somebody else and thinking, hmm, that's interesting. Do you know, so that that detachment that happens as you, the umbilical cord is, is broke. I remember like when I was in the seminary and, and I was so embarrassed by this and shamed, you know, that there's a sense of shame. You feel ashamed if you have negative feelings towards a parent, at least I did, and I think a lot of other people do too. And that's why I think it's a bit of a taboo subject. Yeah. You know, to actually mention it is difficult. And why my reader kind of sent me a kind of confidential thing of, you know, I feel like this too. And he talked about walking on eggshells around his mother and and not being able to grieve his father. Mm. Because when his father was dying, his mother was around and she wouldn't leave the two of them alone to grieve. And I, I could feel that, too, because when my um, father died, I remember placing something on his grave. And my mother moved, <laughs> you know, and it was like as if, you know, th- the where and the how of what I had chosen to do to express a moment's grief for my father. She had to interfere even with that, you know. Mm. My, oh, my, it's amazing, you know what I mean? And uh, as you reflect on your relationship, I say it again. Yes, I, I believe it's it's not isolated and it's there are feelings there that you've expressed that I'm sure many people can empathise with today as they listen to us. Joe, I have to leave it there today. You're a fascinating man always to talk to. And uh, Likewise, Jerry, I always uh, love talking to you. Ah, listen, I'll be back to you, I promise. Joe, you've been so honest, so forthright. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure you've prompted a lot of thought uh, among our listeners this afternoon. Thank you so much, Joe, and I wish you well with all you do. Thank you, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Joe Armstrong there. Yes, if you're affected by anything we were talking with there, uh, along with Joe Armstrong a few moments ago, who was talking about the impact his mother had on his life, do give us a shout. 086-1800-658. Hi, Jerry. Sadly, what Joe is talking about there is a theme that has run through a lot of families. So hard. I'm from a family of seven and I have... An awful lot of mixed emotions listening to him there. Powerful stuff, says another listener as well. It was indeed 
Um, and uh, you've you've missed it or just coming to us if you want to listen back don't forget the show will be podcast a little bit later on today and you can catch up on it Tuesday afternoon on Late Lunch and let's do this It's time for our Two on Tuesday Two on Tuesday Playing the songs that just never quite made it to number one But we were so close I'd be number number one one. We were so close Two on Tuesday Yes, we're going back in time to 1995. This song was released on the 14th of August and it was involved in the Battle of Britpop. It is from Oasis, your two on Tuesday. Our two on Tuesday, Roll With It from Oasis. And as I mentioned, the battle of Britpop was between Oasis and Blur. Well, Oasis couldn't make it a top spot with that one. But Country House is the number one that denied uh, the boys the number one spot in the charts. Uh, And it outsold the Oasis song. 274,000 copies sold of the number one, 216 of the number two back in 1995. So here it is. Big number one for Blur, Country House. Country House from Blur, the number one that prevented Roll With It making it to the top of the UK charts back in 1995. Well, Louise, is this a stupid question? Which one is for you? Battle of the Biggies and Blur for me, without a shadow of a doubt. Always. Top of the Country House. There you go. So the woman that knows says the number one and the charts the got camp, it right. Where you? Say, where yeah. you? Not Oasis. I I didn't hate Oasis, but yeah. I think at that time there really was. It was kind of like mod versus it was. rockers. It was you're either Oasis, you're either Blur, never in the middle shall meet. No, the twain shall mm. meet. Blur are all right. I like that song all right, but uh, I do like the Gallagher's. I think there's an edge in them. By mm. the way, when Noel was interviewed recently about that battle and those two songs... He said, tell you what I think of those two songs. They were (laughs) S-H-I dot T, says Mr. Gallagher. So there you go. Anyway, and up next on Late Lunch, she's uh, in studio with us. Delighted to meet her again. She is the founder of AgriKids, but there are many more strings to Alma Jordan's bow. Stay with us. You know on Late Lunch how we adore our books and World Book Day indeed is coming up this Thursday. And with it in mind, I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch another good friend of ours. Loads of good friends over the years. She's the founder of AgriKids, but you know she's an author as well. Yes, she is. Alma Jordan, good to see you again. (laughs) And you too. Jerry, thank you very much. Not at all. <laughs> anyway, tell them about. I have two books here beside me, right? Okay, so let me tell me about them. One is called Blue the Brave, and the other one is One Stormy Night. And on One Stormy Night, it's a delightful little book. It's World Book Day is on the cover. Yes, yes. So what's the oh. story? 
Well, what happened here was um, I was approached by O'Brien Press um, some some time ago about creating um, a series for children. And I I really wanted, um, I had self-published three books prior with my work with Agri-Kids around farm safety. And teachers had always said to me that, you know, to get older kids to read, that those particular books were fantastic. They were based around farming. They were of interest to the kids. It's an awful shame there isn't something on a farming theme for older children. And I suppose, you know, when O'Brien Press approached me, I said, well, you know, this is something that we could do. We could really look at creating a, a farm series or a, a series of stories based on a farm for older children. So Blue the Brave came about uh, from all of that. And that was really the, the first story. And um, when I brought out Blue the Brave, I went through the whole process. It was all very new with editing and illustration and everything else. And um I had just literally sent off Blue the Brave to for final edits to go straight into print and uh, I, I managed to get himself away on a holiday for the first time in about nine years and uh, first day of the holiday I got a phone call to say listen, um, we'd love you to be an author for World Book Day and uh, in Ireland and I went oh that's great, brilliant thinking they had the book but no they said would you mind creating another story for us on the Hazel Tree Farm series and could you do it in about I don't know eight weeks so I think I went around Space Mountain in Disneyland in Paris uh, in a whole other world. But that's really how One Stormy Night came about. And for anybody who is picking up both books, One Stormy Night is actually a prequel to Blue the Brave because there was a number of plots within Blue the Brave that I really liked, but just didn't work. They just didn't fit. But I didn't, you know, I was a bit, I was a bit protective over them. I didn't want mm. to, to get rid of them. So some of those plot lines have found their way into One Stormy Night. And it's just kind of set up the whole scene, introduced the uh, characters, and I suppose brought this series um, to a level much quicker and much faster than I think I anticipated, but definitely off to um, an absolutely brilliant start. And they both come together. Like when you yes. buy Blue the Brave, you yes. get this one. Well, with World Book Day, they they have a number of books there for children. And if you have um, book book vouchers, I think they're they're one fifty. Uh, they're one fifty or free with the with the book vouchers. So one stormy night is is especially pr- produced for World Book Day. So it was wonderful to have that um, opportunity to have them both out together at the same time for people to pick up both. What age? category or group are you talking about for these books? Where would you pitch it? To for what age? Those particular ones, nine up to about 12 okay, would, would be where I'd go with those. And, you know, they're based on uh, stories from my own childhood growing up on a farm. I grew up on a farm in Kildare and um, and, I, and I took the very brave plunge of, of basing them around a sheep farm. Now, I grew up on a beef and tillage farm in Kildare, but thankfully himself, Mark, um, is uh, he was a sheep farmer and, and now he's, he's moved more so into tillage on a full-time basis. But I, I had Mark to, to lean on with, with questions and I also got in touch with a lovely man called Donnie Anderson who actually runs a, sh- a sheep farm on my grandparents, um, on what would have been my grandparents' land up in Bornabrina in Talla. And I got on to Donny and I said, Donny's great for sheep herding. I said, Donny, tell me everything about training border collies, sheep dogs. What's the commands? What's the whistles? What's the tones? What's the deal? And in fairness to him, and I have Donny and Mark obviously mentioned in a Blue the Brave, but it was reaching out and, and, and teaching myself and learning so much more about other types of farming that I think was one of the, the, the nicest aspects of this particular process. And you know, your experience you mentioned from uh, growing up on a farm to living on a farm to your work with agri-kids, it gives you a great perspective, oh, doesn't it? It does, it does. And I, I know, I mean, I'm starting, I think of about 70 events between now and the end of end of May. And I'm bringing a lot of these books with me for a lot of those visits into schools and, and, and libraries and bookshops. And I really can't wait to 
to go back out and, you know, tell these stories to, to these children because their own stories that they've been telling me over the last eight years with AgriKids somehow have inspired me and found their way into these particular stories. And that's how I know that these will really resonate with so many children. I mean, these books are for all children, whether mm. they live on a farm, don't live on a farm, think they might like to live on a farm, like animals, think they might like animals. It doesn't matter. There is something in these books really, really for everybody. And when I was growing up, I loved storybooks that were real, but had a sense of magic. I liked to think that the world that I lived in could be magical in some way. And I, I've, I think I've, I've brought that aspect very much into these particular books. The two children, Peter and Kate, their names taken from my grandparents, are very strong characters here. And I think their empathy, their love, their passion, their entrepreneurial flares have all managed to, to, to find their way into these storybooks. May I say as well that um, uh, Margaret Ann Sugg's illustrations <gasps> in Blue the Brave, aren't, aren't they, they just gorgeous? Aren't they absolutely gorgeous? Mm. I, I I just I couldn't have been prouder and even the logo that she designed for Hazel Tree Farm yes. she really just just captured um what the characters were and, and Do you know and her everything. or how did that relationship materialise? Or was she yeah, suggested to she you by O'Brien? She was suggested by O'Brien Press. Yeah. So myself and Mags will be out on tour uh, visiting bookshops. And I think she's even going to try and teach me how to draw. We're doing um, a special event in Windmill Lane on World Book Day that's going to be live streamed and also in front of a live audience of 200 children uh, on Thursday. And uh, she's going to be um, teaching me how to draw. And she's a brave woman. I'll give her that. <laughs> No bother to you. I said you're a woman of many strings to your bow and I'm sure you'll take to it like a duck to water. When you consider you self-published and now you have the wonderful O'Brien yes. press or you're in their stable, that's yes. a huge move for you, isn't it? Oh, I, I tell you, there was, there was a little shout of delight. Um, Michael O'Brien himself, who unfortunately we lost um, rather s- suddenly back in July, the day he rang me is probably one of the best days of my life it it really was because he rang to say um not only were they going to publish the book but he he praised me for having a talent and having a creative flair and you know you like to think that 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 you have an ability but yeah you're never that that sure you're never that kind of oh have I really and to have the have him a man of his caliper his experience his insight his innovation his creativity to say those words was just absolutely wonderful and I'm just so sorry he is not here to see um you know the outcome of all those conversations and brainstormings that we that we would have had but to be part of the O'Brien press who really spear headed children's authors um, in Ireland and, and, and children's books for Ireland um, is absolutely brilliant and, and I couldn't be happier. I mean, I suppose that would have been very much on the vision board, but, you know, probably thought I I, I had notions back then, <laughs> Jerry, to be honest with you. No, you know? ideas and creativity and, uh, yeah. pl- you know, putting the words down on paper for this mm. lovely book to entertain so many children. I take it now you're, this is a series, this is, yeah, you have plans for Hazel Tree Farm to develop. Yeah, I mean, there is actually going to be a third book out at the end of, of the year. And um, if I'm lucky enough to get um, contracted in to do a fourth, I already have the outline of that um, kind of worked out in my brain. So um, I definitely would because I grew up and I learned very much about from my own childhood, a very happy childhood. But, you know, it was a very real like we 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 worked on our farm we we um we knew very much what was happening each day on the farm we we knew where things came from how things worked and it was really important that um 
that those children and those lifestyles, you know, are represented out there. You know, that we there is nothing like this out there. It seems to me that when it comes to having farming um, included in, in children's books, it seems to, to stop at a toddler stage. You know, tractors go broom, cows go moo, all that kind of stuff. There's a whole world out there. Um, within farming and definitely from the children that I've met um, in both urban and rural schools and again I can't reiterate that enough um, this topic absolutely captivates them and they they are so intrigued by it and and I think we have a huge opportunity to bring um, some real life and and some some farm life uh, to so many children. Oh it's so important because it is a life that is tremendous and wonderful and so educational as well and so many don't get to experience it nowadays with you know the urbanisation of this country as well and as we said a moment ago this segues lovely into your work with AgriKids just to -hmm. to talk about it for a moment Uh, the work there never Mm. ceases and you know the message must continually be drummed into people's minds absolutely Absolutely. I mean, engage, educate and empowering children to be our farm safety ambassadors will be my ethos um, with AgriKids completely. I'm eight years on the go now, Jerry, and by the end of the year, over 70,000 children will have participated in one of my farm safety workshops. So it is my ongoing labour of love. Um, I have met and made connections with so many grassroots organisations over the last while. Since since COVID, um, it seems to have just gotten e- even busier um, I, I you know I and I seem to have expanded my my network to include members of Mangarda Shiakana the local libraries um, and and it, it, it just goes on and on and on and to get this message and what I do out to so many people in so many ways is absolutely key mm. and I think that um, you know having this series out there there now aligns so well with my I suppose my ethos that you know, I don't think any child should be kept off a farm 100%, but it's all about exposing them gradually and exposing them to jobs and roles and positions that are age appropriate, competency appropriate. And and I think by doing that, we are not only respecting the workplace and the, the dangerous workplace that a farm can be, but we're also embracing the fact that it's a fantastic educational experience for children. They will learn maths, they will learn science, they will learn animal care and empathy and, and husbandry. And dare I say, they will learn resilience uh, through and through. And I think if we want to give our children a superpower, it's it's resilience. That's the best superpower we can give our, give our, our, our children. And I think... Um, I, that's something that I, you know, I'm definitely going to bring on and develop further. And having both these platforms now, I think it, it's it's a very, you know, um, easy and, and viable task. Mm. And I know it is your aim to eliminate completely uh, any loss of life on, mm. on a farm, but especially with children. And as Absolutely. you know, now at the springtime of the year, everything's ramping Huge, up again yeah. all I mean, over the place. Between lambing and calving yes. and, and then we'll be, you know, we'll, we'll turn the corner. It'll soon be into the hay and silage time. And these are all absolutely vital times on our, on our farms a lot of pressure a lot of stress and, and it really just isn't the, the, the place for a child to be so um, you know as I say expose them gradually let them know what, what, what's happening and when safe to do so introduce them and show them and teach them Great stuff. Blue the Brave is out at the moment. Have you a title for the new one or have you got to a title? I haven't got to it yet. Oh, it's yeah. a working title, Jerry. It's all under wraps. Very secret, very exciting. Uh, it's under wraps. I literally actually, in the last 24 hours, um, an edit has got, got, gone over. I must mention Nicola Reddy, my editor. She is absolutely phenomenal. Um, she's just... Um, has been such 
a, a brain with with this whole process. So um, an edit has has gone over to her, and hopefully we shall be sending that to print in the summer and out Great in the stuff. autumn. And we'll so, be yeah. talking about it then, I'm sure. I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by you write a book and then you have to write the prequel in eight weeks. Well <laughs> done to you. What a challenge was thrown down. I to know. You. I need to learn how to say no. Ah, uh, listen. <laughs> Ah, well, you know, it's very hard. I understand that. I just want to read a few lines. I've had it open here Mm -hmm. since you joined me from uh, the introduction uh, to One Stormy Night, which is the first book. And it just says this, World Book Day. World Book Day's mission is to offer every child and young person the opportunity to read and love books by giving you the chance to have a book of your own. Uh, To find out more and for fun activities, including the monthly World Book Day book club, video stories and book recommendations, visit worldbookday.com and that's where you'll get all the information worldbookday.com but that I love those first words there giving every child and young person the opportunity to read and love books what a gift I know and just to add in there Jerry, the books are also going to be available in braille large print and audio so when we say all children we mean all All children children, which is wonderful O'Brien Press have given me uh, two copies of Blue the Brave and two copies of One Stormy Night so I'm going to put them together as a pair so there's two prizes on late lunch today you'll get Blue the Brave and One Stormy Night together do you have children in the age category 9 to 12 years If if they're in that category well if you want to win the books today on late lunch it's quite simple from what farm animal do we obtain pork? That's the question. From what farm animal do we obtain pork? Answers to 086-1800-658. And I'll pick two winners before the end of the show. Children, 9 to 12. Alma Jordan, you're a wonderful woman. Good luck with the books and they're available right across the country in bookstores. See you again when the next one's out and good you luck will. with all your and work. And thanks again for everything. Not at all. Take care. Bye. Louise, I was on the way to work today when I tell you tell you a story. I told you a story early on about me near scam and you, you've been telling me one there about Revolut, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I was coming to work. It just shows you like with people uh, and driving and you know when you're coming down George Street there where the famous leak was in the road. Remember I told you there were <laughs> men looking into a hole yesterday. They fixed it. They did, and it didn't take much to fix it. I'll tell you that, I'd say. When I see the the, the there's repair... There's a lot of barriers up yesterday. Yeah, and there's a little half-repair job on it. They sort of threw shovels of tarmac into it and patted it down. You know, one of those things. They'll have to make a, a permanent fix to it. Anyway, you know when you're coming down to the lights there, there's a filter lane up to the right towards Trinity Street. Mm-hmm. It could be anywhere. It could be any junction with a filter lane to the right. Anyway, there's a fellow sitting on the right as I'm waiting to go there and uh, the filter lane with a big L plate on. And when the lights changed, the filter lane fella just shoots left. Oh, shoots right left. across here. Right across, right across, shoots left. Oh Bang. Dear. Good job, you know, that, uh, you know, the pace of the car was slow and mm-hmm. that and off he or she toddles. I don't know who it was, a white car, very big yoke altogether, but sitting in the filter lane, but actually decides to go mainstream in the, one of the other two lanes, straight on over that stupidest bridge in the world with the worst bend in the world ever created anyway when he got to <laughs> the, when, he got, when, he, when he got <laughs> to the bend he was turning right uh, off down uh, Ratmullen down Ratmullen right. yeah uh, down to the right down Ratmullen Road and you know that's a that junction there's many yeah, crashes yeah I just I got caught there today almost there's a new plan for it I believe they've a new plan they've come up with a new plan anyway uh, to the to the right he's turned right and what did the car do he went down the upcoming lane from the Ratmullen Road. <laughs> it's no laugh. Was he on his own? Because he shouldn't have been on his own. Am I right? If he's an L, 
Correct. Well, maybe he I wasn't. I couldn't gauge it. I was person. trying to gauge a car got in between me. I couldn't see, but went down the lane. If there was anyone coming up mm. to get onto the road, bang. bang. It was straight. Well, bang twice. Yes, and that was two within the space of no time. With a massive L plate, and it was a big L plate. You could see it, and it should but be. But the driver now may not have been the learner. May not. But they should put a bigger L on the back of that car whenever <laughs> they do. And I could tell you a word that L stands for, and it's not learner in the context of driving like that. Oh, my word. I can tell you twice. You know what I mean? And that's, that's somebody. Uh, well, you'd have to say, with what I saw. Dangerous. It couldn't be a fully qualified driver. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It couldn't be. I know people can make mistakes. Can make but some mistakes. Too that like was dangerous. That. Oh, really? Very dangerous. dangerous. Really dangerous driving. Oh my God! Like if it was any time busier time of the day, there could have been a huge problem at that. Been junction. swallowed up by the leak, and then nearly hit. What you're lucky to be here. I'm really? blessed. I'm blessed. And and the frauds that's trying to nail me as well. Oh, it's not my day, is it? Anyway, stay with don't us. Worry, don't worry, don't worry. Tomorrow night is late. You're all right. You'll be out there Am for I the Wednesday right? club. Am I all right? Thank you indeed for all your comments to the show. <clears throat> a listener there saying, I was just listening to Jerry's bad experience with e-dreams and I want to warn your listeners not to book with them because I had a very bad experience trying to get money from them due to them not telling me that when my flight was cancelled. So they're, uh, you know, just I, I told you the story today. I leave it with you and there's somebody else who hadn't a good experience either. And we put a request into e-dreams as well, I want to say, to give them an opportunity to respond if they want to and that's a lovely message there it really is Alma works so hard yes Alma Jordan my guest there just before the three o'clock break with her new books Uh, at the numerous projects she has on the go she's a very talented woman and doesn't appreciate how good she is she deserves all the success she achieves and that comes in today from a very proud husband and son Mark and Eamon Lovely, lovely boys. Well done indeed. Delighted to pass on those good wishes to a wonderful lady that she is. Earlier on in the show, certainly Joe Armstrong's interview touched quite a number of people. It did indeed. Let me read this one to you. Um, Hi, Jerry. If you could just mention the name of Joe's book. He could have been talking about me and my three siblings. And sadly, there's still an issue for us today. It was fantastic listening to him. Well done, Joe. Definitely, we need copies of your book. Joe's memoir is called In My Gut, I Don't Believe. That's the name of the book by Joe Armstrong. In My Gut, I Don't Believe is the book. You wanted to find out the name of the book there. And another one there about Joe. Uh, Joe's, uh, it says here, Joe Thank you. There's healing in your honesty. I thought I was the only person that didn't have a good relationship with my mother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. That comes in from Eileen this afternoon. Thank you indeed for all your comments to the show. The books. Oh, yeah, the books. Alma's books are going to Neve Bard and Sandra Callan today. Well done to both of you. Yes, a pig is the animal that supplies us with pork. Now, let's do this on Late Lunch. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number four from this week in 1999. And it's a song that reached number four in the charts 
but went no higher. It was released on the 22nd of February, so quick enough it was up to number four, uh, but it never went beyond that. But uh, it's been certified with sales of over 400,000 copies ultimately. Yes, it's by famous Welsh rock band, and they have a huge following, I know, the Stereophonics. Here's a number four on the charts from 1999, just looking on Late Lunch. Number four in our top five countdown this week from 1999. It's Stereophonics and Just Looking on Your Late Lunch. Short break, final one of the day. And afterwards, I'm joined by Ireland's most famous farmer. I'll say hello to Dara McCullough. He's waiting for me patiently. Hello, Dara. Good afternoon, Cherry. How are you? I am really good. Well, I tell you, you could have knocked me over with a feather, no pun intended, and uh, <laughs> badminton in mind. Badminton, Dara, tell us about it. Yeah, it's um, it's one of my uh, pressure release valves, um, especially during the winter months. Um, I play my dancing with Town Club, and uh, we go on tour, as the fella says, during the winter months uh, to all the highways and byways across Mead in the dead of night uh, through the league and the cup matches. So we could be up in Shercock one week, we're over in RD, um, and yeah, it's a bit odd. It's the Mead League, and yet uh, we're playing in Shercock. Cock and RD, uh, as well as Kildaki, Navin, and all the rest of them. But um, it's a great, as I call it, it's it's my uh, closest thing I get to a midweek pint uh, when I mm-hmm. hook up with the lads and we head off in the car for a match. And there's always the tea and sandwiches afterwards. And um, yeah, it's a it's a great hobby. You know, it's a sport I am familiar with because I played those leagues in my time and in Louth yeah. as well and the Dublin and District and I know what you're on about. But what really struck us about this was the point you make there. It's a break away from the pressures of the day, which are immense, I know, when you're involved in the agriculture business. But it's a real opportunity to put your thoughts and worries aside for a little while. It is, and you know, um, in some on, on paper, the, uh, playing badminton and having tea and sandwiches and cake afterwards, and not getting home until maybe after midnight, uh, many nights, on paper sounds daft. You know, people have to get up in the morning and do a day's work, um, but. Um, uh, it's good for the soul it's good for the body keeping the limbs moving and it's good for the head just to get out of your head focus on something completely and utterly and forget about all the lists the endless lists you have building up in your head and you said like um, in your in your time you were on the the band of court sitting mm. Chucky Cox I mean Jerry this fat is twice your age still battering <laughs> Chucky Cox around uh, the band of courts of Ireland so uh, like lads in the 70s I was in the I was actually, uh, if you don't mind, I was uh, representing Mead in the Leinster Championships on Sunday uh, down in Bray. And the only reason I mention that is because um, on the Longford team, there was a fellow there and he was well into his 60s and he was tearing around the court. So it's a kind of a a sport that, um, you know, you'd meet 18 to 68 and 70 plus year olds on the court. And uh, the 70 year old gives the the 18 year old as good a run for the money as any. That's the thing about and that's very true people who play the game generally stick with it and might leave it down for a while in their lives but can come back to it too God well I remember Dara being in Kells and the old courthouse in Kells upstairs the court was one court you know and eight matches to be played and us driving home at three or four in the morning oh Dara Dara 
Yeah, I mean, it has in fairness now, right? Uh, that was, that did happen back in the 90s and maybe the early 90s. They've changed the rules a little bit. So there isn't a second service. The games Good. move a lot faster. Um, and the one court halls, you know, it's possible they have become a thing of the past. Now, I'm speaking as somebody who plays in a one court hall and it's great the intensity around them, the, each match because, of course, everyone is on the sidelines studying every shot and every play. But, um, you know, there's some wonderful facilities all around the county. But you remind me of, uh, you know, up in Baileybird, the, the fireplace used to be busting yes. out through the tram line yes. into the court. <laughs> and the other halls, and you'd be kind of stooping under the beams, and every time you cleared the shuttle, you'd smack off the roof for a beam. Yeah. And of course, the local lads were all crafty. They knew all the, the angles on it. <laughs> so there was always that kind of element to it as well. Um, I suppose the modern era everything is getting more standardised you have these wonderful halls and facilities and sure you could you could play a hurling match inside them <laughs> let alone a Bampton match but um, yeah, it's all kind of part of the the quirks and the character of the sport in my head anyway Oh it certainly is those one court halls I remember and I'll tell you I'm going to give out to you now we used to be giving yeah. out yards because the farming boys who played and they always did uh, yeah. they wouldn't arrive till all the milking and everything was done <laughs> In the come, yeah. where are you going? Where are you going at this hour of the night? You know, and the, the sweet agricultural um, yes. uh, uh, scents and perfumes off the massive just after finishing calves and cows and uh, scraping out the slurry passages and all the rest of it. Yeah, and they. But you know what, the farming lads, they have those strong forearms and they a great oh, yeah. drive on the shuttle oh, yeah. and the backhand. You oh, know, they sure. they they put you in your spot. They would, but you know, you said something there that's very important as well. The camaraderie, the tea, the sandwiches, the cake star, and you write about yeah. this. Sure, it's it's such yeah. a big part, isn't it, of it as well? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hilarious, you know. People um, say, "Oh, I'm doing Bampton now," you know, because I need to get fit and all the rest. And of course, you've been piling on the bloody calories after the matches with all the cakes and buns and tea, and <laughs> uh, so the chat to be already getting going, and to be round two and three. Um, but it's it, and you know. I, from what I hear, it's not, it's kind of died out a little bit in Dublin, so it's mm. almost become a kind of a, a rural, another kind of type of a thing that is confined to rural Ireland where people have the time and the patience and the sociability for that. Um, and it's a lovely thing. I mean, it's it's daft. I mean, people have homes and busy lives and all the rest of it. But like I say, I, I I really like it. I mean, there was a time when I used to maybe kind of say to the lads, come on now, we get out of here fairly lively. But after a few years, I just gave up and went with the flow and I found it's a lot easier to go with the flow. <laughs> and the main thing is, that's the serious point of this, is it's a wonderful outlet I come back to that again where I started with you it's a wonderful social outlet and it's a wonderful way of forgetting your cares for a few hours Absolutely. I mean, look, it doesn't have to be Bampton. You yes. know, uh, one fella's Bampton, another fella's golf, there's another fella's bird watching, you know, people mm. to go to choir singing. But so, so important that we keep up interest outside of our busy work lives. I mean, people have wonderful jobs and wonderful opportunities. And like, I'd consider myself one of them. And you get so wrapped up and you're swept along and it's all good. But you, you it, it, it's not healthy to have your whole life um, dominated by work no matter how rewarding or fulfilling or exciting it is you need to keep the balance and I suppose the older you get the more you realise the importance 
of the yin and the yang. So, you know, whatever it is, whether it's cards or choir or badminton or the ga or whatever, keep it up, lads. That is the important message to leave us with today. Darry, you're so good. Thanks so much for joining us. Talk to you again soon. All right, Jerry. Always a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. That's the wonderful Darren McCullough there, of course, the man who is uh, behind Elm Grove Farm there uh, on the uh, coast of County Mead near Gormanston, bringing the curtain down on late lunch for another afternoon. Thank you indeed for all your comments and for those who uh, entered our competition for the books. Really do appreciate it. Love your company every single day. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to be talking to our doc, Dr. Kate McCann, and she's focusing on obesity with us tomorrow. And our Lizzie Dorn is away on a trip around the world. Where's Lizzie? Well, you'll have to join us tomorrow to find out on the show. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive here on LMFM Radio. Do stay with us. And we'll be back with your midweek late lunch on Wednesday from 1.30. We'll see you then. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.